Sarah Trott, and welcome to the fourth trimester podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the fourth trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth trimester care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, this is Sarah Trott, and welcome back to the fourth trimester podcast. We are here with a special guest today. Her name is Gina Mundy, and I will introduce her in a moment. And before I do, I'd like to remind all of our listeners that you can go to our website, which is fourthtrimesterpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and you can go to Apple iTunes or Spotify and wherever you listen to your podcasts and hit follow and subscribe so that you can be alerted every time we release a new episode. This podcast is all about knowledge. Knowledge is power. And one of the things that come up often is anxiety about birth, anxiety about the delivery. And that can come from a lack of information, a lack of knowledge. And truly by knowing some of the specific techniques for having a safer childbirth, that anxiety or some of it at least can hopefully be relieved. So that's what we're here to talk about today. We want to relieve that anxiety. We want to share some important knowledge, some specific techniques. And what's unique is that this is all coming from the perspective of an attorney, an experienced attorney who has 20 years experience plus. She specializes in childbirth cases and she has scrutinized cases and all of the details around it to understand things that could have gone better. And she took all that information and put it together to create some real change. I mean, that's what's so inspiring. And that's what caught my attention about you, Gina. You know, it's really interesting to me that you've taken all of this valuable information and translated it into a force for change for good to help other parents, because you're a parent too, to help other parents learn and benefit from all of this valuable information. And you've written a book about this. It's called A Parent's Guide to a Safer Childbirth, Expecting the Best, Using the Power of Knowledge to Help You Deliver a Healthy Baby. And I love that so much. So I'm going to pause here. Welcome, Gina. Welcome to the program. Uh, Thank you for having me, Sarah. I'm very excited for today's conversation. Yes. Gina, you're a mother yourself. I'm wondering if this inspires you personally in any way in the work that you do and in your desire to help translate your expertise and your information to help other parents. Oh, great question. It absolutely did. Basically, you know, 20 years as a childbirth attorney, I was in the grind. And then we had this near family tragic event where my niece, who was giving birth to the first baby of the next generation, had a really scary childbirth. And it hit me that, you know, I may not be around, you know, for the birth of my grandkids because when I, I was, let me back up a little bit. Um, When my niece gave birth, I was 1100 miles away from her that day. So I was very accessible on the phone and uh, whatnot and pictures and videos and everything else we did and talked about, but I was far and I can tell you how I would prepare my kids for childbirth is very, very different than how a family would traditionally, you know, prepare. So I started to think, wait a minute, what if I'm not around for the birth of my grandkids? I'm like, I got to write some of this stuff down, you know, that I've learned. And I'll tell you, when I transitioned from attorney to, you know, basically author, 
I mean, the information coming out of my head, I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, and it went from, wait a minute, you know, it's not only my kids, it's other families. Um, I'll tell you the hardest part of my job by far is the day that I have to sit down with the families and talk about the day, you know, their baby was born, the day, you know, they lost, you know, their mom or their wife. And so I started just writing and the first few months was very difficult because I had obviously emotional, you know, this, but I had emotionally really suppressed everything from what I've seen over these, you know, years in these cases. And all of a sudden there was just this clarity after three months of being very upset, you know, that I do know stuff that could help these families and it could spare other families from what, you know, I, what I've seen. So yeah, absolutely. My kids were a, were a huge part. They were kind of how it started. But then once really the writing really got going, I'm like, wait a minute, this, this, this is information that needs to, you know, get out there. And this information that you've collected over analyzing all of these cases, the kind of cases you work on are cases where, where what? You know, I'm glad you asked that because people are like childbirth attorney. You know, I have had that question for t- over uh, 21 years ago, February 2003, I got my first case. So I'm on 21 years. And to this day, people are like, what's a childbirth case? And basically, a childbirth case involves the birth of a baby when something goes wrong, a complication, a mistake. Baby is not born healthy. I come in then as the attorney to find out what happened, what went wrong, but probably more importantly, what should have been done so baby would have been born healthy or baby alive or mom around to raise, you know, raise her baby. So those questions, they've taken me all across the United States multiple times, uh, meeting, you know, with doctors in almost every state and almost every, you know, healthcare system, not only doctors, you know, delivery teams, just hashing out every aspect of labor and delivery to find out, find out what happened. So, so tragic. I can only imagine you've spent many, many hours thinking about how you can translate that information into real recommendations and specific techniques that parents can apply for planning, learning, and ultimately having a safer birth and better outcomes for their own families. Oh, absolutely. And I I love that you have, you know, your techniques and all that stuff because my book's not about, you know, what can go wrong. It's how to make sure it goes right. And so those techniques and, you know, there's pro tips throughout my book. But anyway, I'll start with how the book is structured just to give your audience an idea. Chapter one of my book, those are the lessons from the baby cases. So these are the things that, you know, as a lesson, you can learn from the cases in order to help prevent, you know, something like that, you know, happening, you know, to you. And the lessons are from the families, the doctors, the delivery teams, the medical experts. And so each lesson then in chapter one is then a subsequent chapter. So here's your lesson. Then your subsequent chapter are kind of all of your, you know, tips. This is what you need to do. This is what I know. So this is what you need to know and whatnot. So let's, let's take chapter 11. Chapter 11, so the lesson is that in childbirth cases, there are reoccurring mistakes and there are reoccurring complications, meaning they 
tend to be in a lot of my cases. So I go through the top 10. And by doing that, I'm trying to give parents like, hey, this heightened sense of awareness, like, okay, this can go hand in hand with mistakes, but this is what I need to know to make sure it doesn't happen during the birth of my baby. So in chapter one, I go over, for instance, the most common fact or issue in a legal baby case, and that is Pitocin. Pitocin is a drug that will induce mom's labor. It will basically jumpstart labor by having the uterus contract. And I can tell you when I get a case in, I'm telling you one of the first words I read, mom is being induced with Pitocin. You know, as a baby lawyer, you know, I'm not a fan of Pitocin, but listen, sometimes the alternative is just, you know, a C-section. So that's a really hard option too. So Basically, what I did then as another lesson, just, hey, Pitocin is in almost all childbirth cases. I wrote chapter 14. Chapter 14 is how to have a safe Pitocin induction. So I've seen the Pitocin inductions gone wrong since February 2003 when I got my first case. I've researched this drug extensively. I've read thousands and thousands of pages, you know, medical records on you know, Pitocin, I've, you know, discussions with doctors and delivery teams on this drug and whatnot. So basically, you know, whether it's hospital protocols we learn about. So this is, Pitocin has been a big part of these cases. So I wrote the chapter on how to have a safe Pitocin induction. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not going to have Pitocin. You know, that's not one of my choices. Well, listen, I can tell you, if you roll up to the hospital and maybe you're not in labor quite yet, but there might be some concerns about baby, you may be given that option because they may be like, it's time to deliver baby, but your body's not really ready. So you're going to get two options. You're going to get C-section option or you're going to get, you know, Pitocin induction. So it's really important that even if you're not planning on it, you do go through that chapter if you're expecting a baby and understand and learn about Pitocin. So that's an overall. And then with the, you know, my, like my subtitle, like that you were talking about knowledge is power, you know, getting ready and preparing for childbirth is so important because I can tell you this in these childbirth cases, these families are one decision or minutes from a healthy baby. So the importance of good decision-making during childbirth with your delivery team, I cannot emphasize enough. And the only way you're going to make good decisions is if you get ready for childbirth. Right. Knowing the terms to use, understanding the questions that might come up, understanding the different outcomes. One of the things we've talked about on this program is the concept of a birth plan and preparing for birth through education while you're pregnant. is one of the best recommendations we have for you. And we actually refer to birth plans as birth intentions because you might have everything planned out exactly the way you think you might want it to go, but having the expectation that it may not go exactly as planned is really important for preparing mentally for something that may go a little bit differently. And so understanding what some of those things might be and then having sort of plan A, plan B, plan C, or my intention is this, but if it ends up going in a different direction, these are some things that I would prefer can go a really long way. And it really speaks to, again, coming back to knowledge is power, coming back to understanding and and preparing, taking the birth classes, listening to podcasts like ours, reading books like yours, talking to other parents, I think is really helpful too. 
but I really appreciate that you're touching again on that preparation point. Oh, I like birth intentions. That is so spot on (laughs) because one of the hardest things to plan is how you know, your childbirth or labor and delivery is going to go. So yeah, actually that's one of the lessons in the chapter one is to have, now I call them a lad plan, labor and delivery, but you know, I take a different spin on it because getting a labor and delivery plan ready, the act of doing that prepares you for childbirth. So it kind of just keeps stemming back to get ready, prepare. And if you have a plan and you're preparing a plan, you're going to think, you're going to marinate, you know, in different decisions that you have to make now. Because once you hit labor, you are in a different state of mind. So if you prepare the plan in the comfort of your own home, you can call people, you can Google, like you said, you can listen to this podcast. And it's just, it's just going to help you so much in the long run. I can't emphasize that enough. I've given my book to some labor and delivery nurses and they love it. They're like, if only every mom knew this when they came in, my job would be so much easier because they would have streamlined communication. They could move faster if decisions have to be made. Remember, again, streamlined communication, make decisions quickly together that are good decisions. You can't do that without preparing. Mm -hmm. Are there any common denominators that you have picked up on from all of your cases? I think you mentioned Pitocin being something that you typically see. Oh, absolutely. That's so that's chapter 11. And so another one. So Pitocin's number one, another one, a busy labor and delivery unit. Remember, babies want to come when babies want to come. This is not a section of the hospital where you have like scheduled surgeries and they can staff accordingly. Hospital like labor and delivery units can become very overwhelmed very quickly, which means you have a delivery team who's responsible for bringing your baby safely into this world that is running hard and they're running thin. So that's where kind of working with your delivery team again and being able to have that knowledge base to do so will really, you know, will really help. And then another big one that I don't think people realize is that most complications, mistakes occur after the patient's water breaks. So if a doctor asks you or recommends, hey, I would like to break your bag of water, you need to ask your doctor, is there a medical reason for this recommendation or do you want to be home for dinner? Because baby during labor, you know, you can be in labor and have your water intact. And if that's the case, your baby's environment is very much still intact from, you know, how it's been during the pregnancy. But in the uterus, you have baby, you have the umbilical cord, which is the baby's lifeline, you know, and then you have the placenta and that, you know, that's your nutrients and feeding the baby and, and gives, you know, baby life. So, and then it's all surrounded by that fluid. So if they rupture your bag of water and that fluid drains out, the baby's environment changes. However, keep in mind, baby's inside you. So evaluating the baby's environment is hard to do. So in labor, doctor has two patients, mom, baby. Mom is super easy. Mom, if you look, doctor can look at mom and be like, hey, you don't look good. What's up? Mom communicates, they figure it out, they make a plan. Baby, much, much different. So changing that environment 
changes things inside. And sometimes, unfortunately, it makes the baby more vulnerable to something happening. So that is actually a really big decision that I don't think people really understand. Yeah, I love that. Asking if it's medically necessary. And that might be a question that applies to other decisions in the moment as well. Could be applicable to the Pitocin question Mm -hmm. as well. Are you just trying to hurry things along? In these cases, listen, sometimes I don't think OBGYNs think their profession through. Okay. It's a really hard profession. Very rewarding. You're bringing life, helping bring life into the world. And it's such a, you know, it's such a powerful moment that you get to be part of as, you know, part of the doctor uh, or the delivery team. However, you know, this is not a nine to five Monday through Friday job. So, you know, I've, I've been in cases where, you know, a doctor comes in basically at seven. So he'll, he has the way he runs his Pitocin inductions. It's very standard. It's not individualized. He comes in at 7 a.m. before he hits the office. Why? To break everybody's water so he can be home for dinner. Listen, this is real stuff. So it's important to say something and ask and don't be afraid to, you know, offend your doctor. Because listen, if you have a good doctor, which hopefully the nine months prior, you were able to, you know, scope out and figure out if you have a good doctor, they're not going to do that. So yeah, so be just don't be don't be afraid. This is your baby. You're trying to get to that powerful moment. You hold them for the first time and everything's great and you'd get to take them home to the nursery and all that stuff. So don't ever be, you know, you know, timid about asking your doctor something. Maybe be a little more fluffy than somebody like me would be, but you know, that's about it. Right. And so advocating for yourself is a really big topic and we're a fan of having supporters present. So that could be a partner, a doula, a a grandmother, another friend, a dear friend, who we recommend also do the same preparation and get the knowledge beforehand and understand your preferences. Because sometimes in the moment of labor, it's not exactly comfortable to defend yourself or advocate for yourself. If a big surge is coming, that it might take all of your mental and physical energy just to get through that. And it's hard to kind of know everything that's going around you in the moment sometimes. So having another person present to help ask those questions, the question that Gina just asked, is that medically necessary, can be really, really beneficial. Absolutely. And, you know, we are so on the same page. So one of the lessons from the baby cases is having, I call them a baby advocate. It's exactly what you just said. And listen, they're going to be there anyway. So just give them a job. They're they're just as excited as you. Grandmas, grandmas make the best advocates because obviously, you know, they've they've been through it and and whatnot. And they're, you know, more humble, a little older like me. Um, But yeah, so chapter seven of my book is having that person there and giving them a job. I call them the baby advocate. And just like you're saying, you know, I'm like, okay, and this like this is what your baby advocate needs to know. So yes, they will take over, they will help you. So you as mom can relax mentally, physically to deliver the baby when you need to. So yeah, no, give them a job. And like in any job, you need some training. So 
they should be going through the same training. But no, at the end of that chapter, I think I narrowed it down to five different things every baby advocate or every support person should do before, you know, childbirth. And I do like doulas. I will say this about doulas. I like doulas because they do speak the language of the delivery team. So and they do understand, you know, a lot. And I will say this, um, I wish I would have, you know, really understood this before I got my book out, but I, I definitely advocate for doulas now that I'm, I've published the book, but doulas are not in childbirth cases. So they were not included in my book because I didn't know that much about them. So considering what I do, if I don't know that much about doulas, that means doulas are helping parents bring babies, you know, safely into this world. Yeah, that's actually a very good thing. Mm hmm. And that's lovely to hear and wonderful to hear. And we're strong advocates for doula care and having proper support. Not everyone can afford a doula. That's a reality too. So using your book as a guideline or other information from this podcast as a guideline for how supporters can help be present, help advocate for you in the moment, help educate themselves beforehand uh, to be the best supporter for you in the moment as possible is really, really important. Absolutely. You know, listen, I'll tell you, you know, if you go on my Amazon reviews, I'm over 300 and it, there's so many dads on there. I, I think I have more dads leaving reviews than moms. Like they're just, they're like almost helping each other out there. And the dads are so grateful for my book because instinctually they want to protect their wife. They want to protect their baby. I just don't think they know, how, you know, they really sometimes get lost or what are they going to do? Keep Googling how to protect my mom, you know, how to protect my wife and baby. No, no. My book lays it out for how a dad can come in and make sure he takes his wife and his baby home after childbirth. Yeah. One of the things that you had mentioned, one of the other topics you're very passionate about is the right way to pick your doctor and hospital for a less stressful delivery. Would you mind touching on that for us? Oh, absolutely. So as part of my job, you know, for over 21 years, I have analyzed OBGYNs and I wrote a chapter on how to pick the good doctor. And it, it is, it's one of the lessons that, you know, are from the childbirth cases. So I took all of my knowledge and analysis and everything that I have done over these years and I put it into this chapter then to help parents then figure out who's the good doctor. Because listen, you know, these cases go to trial and uh, listen, juries don't like bad doctors. So, you know, you, if you're sticking a doctor in front of a jury, you know, they better be a good doctor. So it's very, you know, it's very important to ask them, you know, for instance, I, I list 20 questions that every patient should ask their doctor. Literally, these are questions that come out in childbirth cases. These are questions even that I, I may use to discredit a doctor or make or bolster a doctor's credibility in front of a jury. But not only that, I mean, they're just really good questions that every patient would want to know, but, you know, maybe you don't think of it or, you know, whatnot. Is there one question that you would say is the most important or are they all important? Oh, they're all important, but I will say, you know, a big one that I don't think people ask or think to ask. So doctors who deliver babies are OBGYNs, obstetrics and gynecology. Obstetrics is your pregnancy. Gynecology, that's more of your nine to five job. So you want to know 
is my doctor in the trenches delivering babies all day? Or are they more gynecology where they're more Monday to Friday, you know, nine to five? So you want to ask your doctor literally what percentage of your practice is obstetrics? What percentage of your practice is GYM? So I'll tell you, even so a lot of the older doctors, they start getting tired. <laughs> they, you know, they're, they're like, you know, they're learning to try to do some more GYM than OB. But you definitely want a doctor, you know, who's in the trenches delivering babies. You want a high percentage of their practice to be obstetrics because then remember your doctor is likely not going to be at the hospital when you're in labor. They are called in to catch the baby is typically, unless the doctor's working a 12 hour shift, you are relying on your nurse, your resident, your midwife to communicate with your doctor and your delivery team, because that's usually who it consists of. I mean, those three people are really most of the time who was scheduled to work that day. So it's important that if your doctor is delivering a lot of babies, they're going to be, you know, communicating with these, you know, potential different people on the delivery team more often. And you build a rapport, you know, your doctor is going to know, do I trust that person on the delivery team? You know, if they're delivering, you know, babies all the time, they're just going to have a, a better comfort with the delivery team. And again, delivery team is responsible for bringing your baby safely into this world. Their care in my cases are analyzed more than any other aspect of the case. So it's really important that you do have a doctor who is in the trenches. So, you know, if I'm trying, if I have a doctor giving opinions, you know, in a case about, you know, labor and delivery, but they mainly do obstetrics, you know, and I'm trying to discredit the doctor, you bet that's coming out in front of a jury. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's stuff like that. Love that. Okay. So that's fantastic guidance. It sounds like for the OBGYN as well as pediatrician and potentially other doctors as well. So that's really good stuff. We're coming up on time. And one of the things we like to like to ask our guests on the podcast is a little bit about their own fourth trimester experience. So we're just curious if that's something you'd be comfortable sharing with us since you are a mom of three. Oh, absolutely. So basically my, so first baby, I was a C-section. So back in 2004 was uh, my daughter. And, you know, as a childbirth attorney, you know, it's really hard for us to relax because we can't, you know, unsee what we've seen. We can't unknow what we know. But I got home and what I didn't realize about having a C-section, you know, the recovery is very difficult, but I had a great mother-in-law. I had a great mom and a husband who really, I mean, I was so pampered for the first month. I'm like, this is so easy, you know, and I didn't realize, realize how hard it was until they were gone. And then they slowly kind of handed the baby off to me. And then I'm like, okay, this, this is a, wow, we got to get up at all times, uh, you know, all, all times of the night and fun stuff. But no, I, you know, I'll tell you, and I don't know if it's because I've seen all the outcomes, but, you know, I really appreciated having a healthy baby. I think, you know, I think everybody does, but maybe because of professionally what I see, I really appreciated having a healthy baby. So I just felt blessed every, you know, every minute. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your experience. You touched on the importance of having a support structure around you. It, and that's important in any kind of delivery, but in particular, when you've had 
what is the equivalent of major abdominal surgery, <laughs> the C-section. I mean, you, can, you can't really lift anything. That's really important. And so much focus sometimes can be on the pregnancy and the birth. Thinking through what that immediate postpartum at the hospital and then your postpartum recovery at home for those first 30, 40 days is really important. And you might not have a partner, you might not have the mother-in-law or the mother that's nurturing in the way that you would want to have them there, but there are ways to find support through friends as well, mm -hmm. through a postpartum doula. We have a whole episode on what to expect from a postpartum doula, giving you care in your own home. So there are other alternatives for um, making that work. And so just to do a little recap, what are some ways to have a safer childbirth? We touched on asking the question, is this medically necessary? Really important. We touched on being prepared with knowledge and thinking through what you want, what you intend to happen during your birth, taking your birth classes, finding the education that matters so that you're ready and prepared for the various scenarios. We also talked about the importance of knowing who your doctor is and sussing out their strengths and weaknesses and making sure that's the right fit for you, given your intentions and what you want to have happen. We touched on a number of other things too. I really want to mention if people are interested in creating their own birth intentions document, we do have a whole episode dedicated to that. It's number 13. So we even have a template where you can go and even download a, a free template for you to create with the aid of information from books and other sources as well, you can put together something that feels right for you. Um, we also talked about different ways you can find a good doctor and hospital. We just had a great interview on episode 98 with Kimberly Seals Allers, who has an app called Earth, which is specifically made for black and brown women. Um, it's taking a community-based approach to identifying the best hospitals and doctors. It's like the Yelp for hospitals. So if that's applicable to you, go check that out. I highly recommend it. And really just, I want to thank you. I want to take this moment, Gina, to thank you so much for being on our program today. Uh, thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate your kind words. You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Hello again, bicycle man I know you're doing all that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you You got your wheels, you got your gears you ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake Hello again.
again Bicycle man I know you're doing all that you can I wrote the song Simple and true I wrote the song I sing a song for you Hello again Bicycle man I know you're doing the best that you can I wrote the song Simple and true I wrote the song I sing a song for you